Leadership is a journey. It's not going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. And just don't identify positions that you want. Identify key skill sets that you want to learn that can be transferable to any position. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Today, our guest is Cynthia Williams. She is the Global Director of Sustainability, Homologation, and Compliance for Ford. Cynthia started at Ford back in 1992 and has dedicated her entire career to sustainability and the auto industry. Under her leadership, Ford is working towards some big goals, including investing more than $50 billion in electric vehicles through 2026, and pledging to become carbon neutral no later than 2050. Cynthia, welcome to 9 to 5-ish. Thank you, Danielle. It's a pleasure to be here. It is a pleasure to have you on. Let's dive in with a quick lightning round, a bit of a warm-up. Quick questions, quick answers. Ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. First job you got paid for. Uh, the first job that I got paid for, uh, my dad actually had to drop me off. I was 15. I was a woodshop teacher for the Flint Public Schools. Were you always handy? This was supposed to be lightning around, but I, you're the first woodshop teacher I've had, so I got to ask. I did like fixing things around the house. If something broke, I used to be the one that tried to fix it first uh, and then get my dad involved. What? Do you drive? I drive the Mustang Mach-E. It's a great electric SUV that Ford builds. How often do you get a speeding ticket? Not often. Try not to. <laughs> it's been a while. Knock on wood. What's the last TV show you binge watched? The last TV show? I be oh, Law and Order, of course. Well, which one? The classic one, SVU, Criminal Intent. I like the Special Victims Unit, SVU. Carly and I are both obsessed, so I get it. My husband cringes when he comes in to hear that music. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. It's just, it's so good. Okay, here's the one that I've been waiting to ask you. What does homologation mean? So homologation is really a term for global certification. So with my job, I'm responsible for emissions certifications for our vehicles around the globe. And so that means working with regulators around the world to understand what the regulations are. We disseminate those to the company, and then we do all the testing that's required to certify our vehicles because we must get approval from the government before we can sell any product in any market around the world. What's one word a direct report would use to describe you? firm. That's a good one. What's your go-to karaoke song? Whitney Houston. I want to know. You know, you're the second one today. And I was just thinking before you said that, that, that is always my go-to. I love it. When I'm in the shower, I'm Whitney. <laughs> oh, 
I know. Who is one person you would want to have at a dinner party, living or dead? Barack Obama. Last question. What is the most used app on your phone? The most used app on my phone, I would say, is uh, Google Maps. Let's get into it. One of the things that I find so interesting about the automotive industry is that there are generations of people who have like families that have really been so engrossed in in building these companies. And your family has been in the automotive industry for years. Talk to me about your dad and your grandfather and how did you decide to get into the business as well? Absolutely. So both my grandfathers, they migrated from the South to work in the automotive industry. One from Greenville, Alabama. He landed in a little town called Albion, Michigan, and he worked for Albion Industries at the time. And then my other grandfather migrated from Greenville, Georgia, and he ended up in Flint, Michigan, working for another automotive company rival to Ford. And so my dad uh, and his brothers both took after his dad, and they both worked for the same company. And for me, how I got involved, I was in uh, junior high school, actually. I was part of Flint, Michigan's first pre-engineering program. And so in that, we would go. It was GMI at the time. We would go and we would listen to various engineers explain to us the different disciplines in engineering, the benefits that we could bring to the environment. And we also had in high school, as part of that program, we were able to get internships through various companies in Flint. That really, you know, introduced me to the field and introduced me to not only the work site, but also it took us to campuses like the U of M and Michigan State University, where I actually decided to go. Took us there for weeks at a time where we would be on campus and learn even more about the studies behind it. And so that's what really got me involved. And that's where I, again, starting from the when I was 15, being a whipshot teacher, working with my hands, I chose to go in the field of mechanical engineering to the environment. Aside from the actual mechanics, over the past few years, there have been a number of rapid shifts, changes you've experienced. How have you as a leader helped your team navigate those shifts when it comes to sustainability and electric vehicles? Mainly, you know, what you guys have introduced is a a phenomenal goal. I'm sure for a long time, I'm guessing as part of any big industry, there were like starts and stops. How do you learn to build consensus? Well, I I think it's working together, working collaboratively to understand what are the different technologies that we can bring to market to reduce, again, our impact on the environment. And we have a range of vehicles uh, still in our portfolio uh, that we have that can help. We have hybrid electric vehicles, we have plug-in hybrid electric vehicles, and we have full battery electric vehicles. And it's all about working with our consumers to understand where they are at, to understand, you know, what drive cycles that they have and really understand the work that they need to do with their vehicles to make sure that we're providing solutions for them so that they can actually make that transition with us. So it's all about how do we help bring them along with us? And again, working with the key partners in product development, working with the key partners in research and advanced engineering to understand what those options are. And we, we understand it's going to be a journey 
bringing folks along. Everybody's not going to transition at the same time. So we want to make sure that we do have solutions for everybody so we can bring them along that journey with us. One of the things that I'm so interested in as someone who works as part of something that has like a long-term goal, how do you keep your team optimistic and focused when there's a lot of you know, at times really sad and depressing and pressing climate information out there, not to mention a lot of international diplomatic tension over electric cars. How do you stay focused and how do you keep the people on your team motivated? Yeah, one of the things we try to do is to keep the politicalness out of vehicles, right? It's just a different propulsion system that's going to drive that vehicle down the road. So it's not about the vehicle. It's about, let's talk about the benefits that these vehicles can actually bring. So I try to stay positive and talk about the benefits of the vehicles. These vehicles are actually better than the vehicles we have on the road today. So I just think we need to get people in the vehicles. We need to educate them on the benefits of the vehicle. So I try to have my team be positive about what the vehicles can bring. And there's zero emissions. Right. And so that's what we're working towards. We're working towards something that we can make sure that generations to come, that our kids, our grandkids still have a planet that they can live on and survive. And we have to get to the zero emission scenarios in order to do that. I want to go back to you mentioned you've been at Ford for over 30 years. How did you decide to build your career at one company? And was it an active decision? Well, for me, my history with both my grandparents, my parents, they all chose careers at one company for 30 years, 30 years plus. And so I think it was in my DNA to try to stick with the company and help build and change the culture to help, you know, promote the company to be successful in the future. I think that's part of the DNA that that where I where I come from. But also, the opportunities at Ford, you know, with Bill Ford being the lead at the company since I've been here, he brings a different leadership to the company. Somebody that cares about the environment, I think that was a lot, had a lot to do with my career path as well. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've had in your professional growth? I think, you know, one of the things that people go back and forth on when they decide or start to think about leaving a job or leaving a company is that they feel like there are different opportunities somewhere else. What have been some of the, I would say, positives of of staying? And also, are there questions that you have in your personal career around things you potentially would have missed out on by staying at the same place? Well, I think some of the things that that I looked at is the opportunity to grow within the company. Having mentors that you could actually reach out to and have someone listen to you, help you chart a pathway in terms of opportunities that they would recommend and could help you move into. I think lots of uh, mentors here at Ford that helped to chart my path, that if I went into their office for a meeting, they would actually say, hey, Cynthia, come on in. Let's have the discussion. And, you know, it's not always rosy, right? But having the mentors that you can reach out to, that you can go in after after hours even and just have that discussion about, well, what happened here? What could you do better? Having them provide me 
some insight on how they might handle things and have me think about it differently, not think about it like what's in the best interest of Cynthia all the time, but how do you make it in the best interest of not just you, but you and the company? And so maybe you don't get to move right away like you want to, but maybe you chart that path and you develop a plan to get you where you need to be in the next few months or so. So it's not always immediate having the mentor sit down and chat with me about, it's not always about the immediate gratification, but if you have a plan to get there and you have people working with you to help you reach your goals, I think that's one of the key reasons why I remained at four as long as I have. That's a really interesting point. And I don't think anyone has really talked about it this way, that it's a team right. overall. Like it's not that you aren't going to get it, but the kind of like on-demand gratification culture goes into a lot of that. You've spent a lot of your career dedicated to mentorship and supporting employee resource groups. How did you step into that? And what has that taught you about fostering a sense of belonging in organizations, especially really big ones? I think it's really about the mentors that I had and the roles that they played in the employee resource groups and bringing me in and maybe starting at a committee level, but then reaching out, say, hey, you should lead this. Say, I want you to lead this and turning that over to me, having me lead different things and having me be successful in those and helping you to be successful, not just giving you something and just throwing you to the wolves, but actually guiding your steps so that you are successful. I think that's one of the reasons that I always had great mentors in my pathway, still do today. And I always want to give back. So I not only give back at work, but I give back in the community as well. What are some of the common themes you hear from people that you mentor, like earlier in their career? One of the things that I think is always surprising to people on the other side is Everyone feels like their challenges are unique and that I think there's also an element in growth that a lot of people go through similar things and yet the mentalities can be so different. What are some of the things that you look for in people that you kind of decide to take under your wing and what are the most important kind of things you've, you've imparted on them? The things that I look for, uh, for folks that I mentor, I look for drive, I look for determination. I look for the willingness to be flexible, the willingness to think out of the box and to be open to new things. I think that's how you're innovative. That's how you learn. And so those are the types of qualities I look for in folks. Matter of fact, right before I came to this session here, I was actually uh, on a call with one of my mentors and just providing advice to them on how to handle themselves in a particular meeting, how, how to understand their audience on who they're speaking with, because your script or whatnot or your discussion, it can change. Because once you go up the chain, you might have a 30-minute meeting scheduled, but by the time you get there, you might not have 30 minutes to, for that discussion. You may only have the time to do that elevator speech. So, you know, I often tell them, hey, know your audience, know who you're talking to, be able to go in there not only for the hour discussion, be able to, to shorten that to 30 minutes at the drop of a dime, be able to shorten that to 10 minutes, five minutes, 
Do the one line key thing that you want them to get out of that presentation. Know your audience and be able to read the room. Read the room to see where you need to pivot to try to bring that that group back into that discussion with you. Those are some of the things that I talk to them about. I talk to them about career planning. And when I talk to them about career planning, I always say, hey, leadership is a journey. It's not going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. Again, you have to be flexible and just don't identify positions that you want. Identify key skill sets that you want to learn that can be transferable to any position. And always in your discussions with your key leaders that you sit down with, always take time to talk about your career journey and how could they help you get to where you need to be. So those are some of the things I often talk to them about in terms of baking in and really get positive feedback from the teams that I work with. Do you have a go-to interview question? Go-to interview questions are really, talk to me about a challenging time that you've had. How did you overcome the challenge? And what were the, the key things you did to overcome it? Do people tend to answer that with a professional or personal challenge? It varies. It varies on the person, really. And it varies on the situation that you're, um, that you're asking a question. If it's a job interview, most people try to provide a professional answer. If it's for an employee resource group, lots of folks, they'll pivot to a personal you know, solution or answer there. We obviously just saw the, the auto industry go through a big auto worker strike, and, and I'm sure those listening are aware of it. It happened earlier this fall. As someone whose family has been working in the industry for decades, what was your perspective as you watched it unfold and then ultimately get resolved? So my perspective on the negotiations that it, it has to be fair for the employees, right? They are part of the team as well. We have to bring solutions that will, you know, bring them to the table. But we also have to understand that we are running a business. And so we need folks, again, to compromise on that solution. And I think that's what ultimately happened. And we were able to compromise and to find a solution that worked for both sides of the aisle. And I think that's going to be the main thing, I think, that makes us successful in the end when you have both employees that are happy that are on the UAW side as well as the corporate side as well. We have to work together because we're ultimately one team, right? Because the customer, they're going to see the vehicle with the Ford brand on it, right? Or the GM or the Stellantis brand. But, you know, our customers see the corporate brand on the vehicle. So we have to work together to bring that quality product to the end customer. So I've got two final questions. The first is, I want to go to a question from our newsletter audience. They want to know, when I try to advocate for myself to my boss, it feels like it's falling flat. How can I better advocate for myself so that I can get my boss's attention and open up the door for raises and promotions? When you advocate for yourself, always highlight the strengths, always highlight what you've brought to the bottom line to help meet the corporate goals and always try to quantify the impact to the company and the bottom line that you brought. Talk about the things that you have led, not the team. What did you lead? What did you deliver? And what is the bottom line to the company? 
That is well said. It's also something I feel like you got to work at because sometimes people don't know how to advocate for themselves in a way that isn't to them sounding like braggadocious. But if you're not going to do that, nobody will. (laughs) Final question. Who is someone else we should have on the show? Well, all of the women of Ford, of course, should be part of your show. We should actually have a series where we bring the women in leadership onto your show. We have an awesome group of women here, and I can't help but to want to share this opportunity with them. That is great. Cynthia, thank you so much. Thank you for for coming on and, and talking to us today. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure to meet you. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. And if you want to keep up with us in between episodes, follow us on Instagram at Carly and Danielle. It's a really good account, I promise. <laughs>